0: If you have Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter (laughs) 2. Every summer, of course, many of us have opportunities to go for vacations. um, And many people get to go, when they go vacation, they go camping. That's a real popular camping uh, experience. And hopefully your family has an opportunity to enjoy camping somewhere along the way. Um, And this, you know, if not recently, uh, in previous years and hopefully in years to come. But we love going camping because, it's, you know, it's, it's a, first of all, it's, it's affordable for families, you know. You just kind of rent a campsite, you can just set up a tent, and you just, you know, whether you, uh, it's uh, very accessible, anybody can uh, go rent a campsite in America. And, of course, on the top of it all, it, it's just absolutely beautiful, especially for those of us who live in the city. Uh, when we get out there in the world, it's like just amazing when we see the beauty that's all around us when we go camping. But when you go camping, whether it's car camping, whether it's backpacking, or, or whether it's, uh, it's glamping, you know, uh, and that's whatever your, your, uh, your flavor, you know, there are always basic rules to be followed when you go camping, right? Basic rules, and thankfully, and by the way, I, I'm not an avid camper, so I had to look these all up on the internet, uh, and so you can look them up on the internet too, and here's five helpful rules for you when you go camping, Okay. Um, rules for safety and a pleasant experience. Rules like, for instance, number one, uh, and it's not in any particular order, but number one, make sure you tell someone where you're going and when you're going to come back in case you're going you know, to get lost out there. You know, it's good. Just let them know so that, oh, I'm going to come back next Tuesday so that they can check. Oh, well, it's, it's now like a month later. He's not back. I should, I should check on, on that guy. Maybe he's lost somewhere. Uh, and that's rule number one. Make sure you, you, know, you know where you're going and when you're returning. Somebody has to know. Uh, number two. Um, when you go camping, keep your site clean. Keep your site clean. Keep your tent area clean. You're, you're going to live there for the next few days. You know, if you leave litter all around, no one's, your mom and dad, well, maybe your mom and dad will clean it up for you, but your mom and dad hopefully aren't cleaning up for you. Then you need to clean it. Keep it clean. Keep it uh, figured out. Uh, you want to pack in, pack out, especially if you're backpacking. And uh, thank you, brother. Uh, and you want to keep it clean because not only for your own comfort, but for the comfort of whoever is going to come after you, right? They might come later and find out that, hey, uh, this site's a mess and that wouldn't be pleasant you know, for them or for you. Thirdly, uh, make sure you set up, set up your camp or your tent in those designated spaces. You know, when you go to these beautiful castles, you say, oh, wouldn't it be so cool to put our tent right on that cliff? No. No. Or wouldn't it be cool to put our camp right by that river? You might wake up to find yourselves in the river, okay? So, you know, you, you got this designated spaces at camp, put your camp tent right there, okay? Uh, there's a reason for that. Number four, respect your neighbors. You don't want to go camping. Everybody's going camping. They want to be outdoors. They don't want to hear your, you know, your noise. They don't want to see your lights. Uh, so we want to be respectful mindful of that uh, at all times. And then, fifthly, obey, Most, kind of pretty important, if you go to a, a campsite, you want to obey the posted campground rules. Every campground has specific rules that are probably unique to their area that you should be aware of, you know. If it's like a really dry area, you don't want to be starting fires just anywhere, right. You, you should always start a fire in a fire pit, for instance, uh, or you want to know, hey, this is bear country, so don't leave your food just lying around, or you'll be friends with the bears, Uh, And so all sorts of things. These are just five random rules about camping. Uh, Take that for what you will. Anyways, the book of Numbers in general, as well as today's chapter in particular, are a record of God's camping instructions for the Israelites. As they camped, as they marched all throughout the wilderness of Sinai. Uh, They were, of course, not just wandering around aimlessly, but they were wandering, they were heading towards the promised land. And the instructions that the Lord gives them were designed for a specific purpose, for their survival, as well as for their success as they marched toward the home that God had promised to them, uh, their forefathers, and to them. Uh, as it's just a simple re- big, brief review of the book of Numbers, I'll repeat it for a couple of weeks now. It records, Numbers records for us the 40 years of wanderings of the nation Israel in the Sinai wilderness uh it's their their wilderness journey from out of the exodus out of egypt all the way in then into the entrance of the promised land in this book we learn uh, this major theme of both the faithfulness of god the faithfulness of god and you we even the songs we sung this morning we can't help miss the the faithfulness of god theme that's the theme of numbers god's faithful to provide and be with the people of israel his people at all times all ages and then also secondly the book of Numbers reminds us of the need for the people of God to have faith in their God or to be faithful to their God in all that he asks. This book is, uh, is structured around uh, two parts, two generations marked off by two censuses, two numberings in chapters 1, chapter 26. And then we're in the section of chapters 1 to 4. We just started three weeks ago or so. And in chapters 1 to 4 are God's instructions for the, for the census of that first generation, the first generation that came out of Egypt. Last week, we looked at chapter 1, which primarily revolved around the census of the, the warriors of Israel, the army, the fighting men of Israel. And these uh, warriors, basically, were numbered by the Lord and, as, and, and, and counted uh, by uh, Moses, Aaron, and the respective leaders. Today's chapter, chapter 2, instructs Israel, basically, now that they have an army, how they will, how they will camp and how they will march. Basically, they're, they're formation orders. It's like how they are to, to march, how they were to camp uh, in, the, in the land. Because, well, let's face it, there are over 600,000 fighting men, 2 million people. Uh, you want to have a pretty organized, well-organized formation if you're going to be marching or camping all throughout uh, Israel. All throughout the, uh, the wilderness. And what we learn is that the truths and lessons for Israel in the wilderness are written down, 1 Corinthians 10 tells it, for our instruction today. They're written for the instruction of God's people today. So, what they learned are lessons that we need to learn. We're not necessarily wandering through the wilderness of a desert, but we are all sojourners and strangers on this earth. We're all, this is not our home. Uh, We we are all heading towards a home, a promised land, if you will, a promised dwelling, eternal dwelling with God in heaven, in glory forever. And that's what we're heading towards. And so, in a sense, we might call ourselves walking through the uh, wilderness of life. In today's chapter, God's instructions to Israel reminds us of the priority of worship and obedience to the Lord. That's the main lesson for today, the priority of worship and obedience to the Lord. And for an outline for us, we have a three-part outline. So, and I'm going to repeat it for you a couple of times just to make sure we, we get it. Three lessons for God's people from God's camping instructions. So three lessons for God's people from God's camping instructions that remind us of the priority of worship and obedience to the Lord. So three lessons for god 's people from god 's camping instructions they remind us of the priority of worship there and uh, the obedience to the lord that 's where we 're going to go today and uh, um, you know in the and hopefully you uh, you can have a um, just you know you can uh, follow along with me even without our normal um, visuals this morning all right so all right let 's lesson number one that god 's camping instructions taught the people of God as is this, and that is found in verses 1 to 2, and that is we are the lesson of prioritizing the worship of God. The God's instruction to Israel is meant to teach them and meant to teach us of the, the necessity for the people of God to be prioritizing the worship of God. Now, I know I'm preaching the choir because here you are all in a worship service today, right? You could have been doing many other things today, but here you are worshiping God. And but hopefully what we'll say today will kind of spur you on and challenge you in your worship of God. Let's let's look at Numbers chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. And I'm going to read the text within the sermon. So Numbers 2, 1 to 2. Okay. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, the sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their fathers' households. They shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. Uh, once again, we find in verse 1 that it reminded that these are not the words of men. This, this book is not the words of just simply Moses, and, uh, but these are the words of God. God, the Lord God, the Almighty God, is speaking here. He speaks to Moses, to Aaron, and then uh, through them to the people of Israel. It is the Lord whose instructions we find here. And the Lord begins here with a big picture instruction of uh, how they're to lay out their camp. So when you go to a camp, you've got to lay out your camp in a certain way. Uh, especially the more people you have, you've got to make sure it's orderly. And he does that for them. And you'll notice that the key verb here is mentioned twice, they shall camp. You find it in the beginning of verse 2, the sons of Israel shall camp. And it's in the latter half of verse 2, they shall camp. Uh, given twice and for emphasis, essentially. And the verb camp is a key word in, in the book of Numbers. It's kind of nerdy. If you're kind of like nerdy, uh, you like ner- nerdy lexical kind of uh, information about the Bible, it's kind of really neat. Of the 143 times that this word appears in the Old Testament, this verb camp, uh, over half of them, 74 of them, are, to, are found in the book of Numbers itself. That's really cool, because that tells you that the theme of Numbers has as much to speak about how Israel was to camp in the wilderness, or they're camping through the wilderness of Israel. And certainly for 40 years, they didn't know it at this point in Numbers 2, but eventually the instructions that we find here about how they're to camp, how they're to march, were going to be something that they would do for the next 40 years. So it's really significant. If, you're read, if you've been reading through Numbers, just next time you go through Numbers, you're reading again for the you know, next time, highlight every time you say the word camp. They camp. They camp. They camp here. They camp there, and you just find it everywhere. And just think about it for a second. You know, we just kind of gloss over that. But every time it says they camped, they camped in this way, and it didn't just take like you know, uh, if, you know like a, a few minutes just throw out their tent. It took. This is an elaborate organization, structure, and this is all by God's plan. It's how they camped. It's how they marched. It's how they picked up their camp and moved forward. All So whatever they were camping in the wilderness of Paran or the plains of Moab and everything in between, God's instructions guided the layout of their camp, how they were to camp. And though this verse describes the general layout, just kind of the general layout of the camp, we observe that it's an instruction, not just though it's general, it's an instruction for each and every person. Each and every son, man of the sons of Israel. No one is exempt from this command, it says. Each one knows it says, each one is to camp. You know, it's talks about the sons of Israel as a whole, but each one is to do it. There's a place for everyone in this camp. Each one is to follow the instructions of the Lord. Each one is to camp in their own designated space. Each one is to be marked off by their standards, these, these poles where they, where they have some kind of insignia on it that would mark off that this is the certain camp. It would mark off their families, their clans, family clans, would be marked off by different sta- banners or, or uh, some kind of flag perhaps. And so all these, these, these standards, their flags and banners all marked off the military divisions as, as well as the families of Israel. And there was a place for everyone. You couldn't just say, "Oh, I think I just want to camp over there. Well, I think I just want to camp over there. God says this is where you will camp. Every single one of you, you will have a place to camp. And, be, and you, this is where you will march when Israel marches. But having said that, the main description of how they were to camp is found in the latter, the latter part of this verse and that they were to camp around the tent of meeting. And that's the, that's the, that's the kind of the key f- uh, phrase here, the camp around the tent of meeting. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I'm, I'm so used to looking at the slide, but I realize you guys don't have it here, so it's not going to help you much. But anyways, um, they were to camp around the tent of meeting. And in this place, the tent of meeting is another, another name for it. It's the tabernacle. We've kind of introduced it already a little bit in chapter 1. And you remember God had given instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? On Mount Sinai in Exodus 25 to 27, he gave him complete, very detailed instructions about how to build this tabernacle, this tent. And let's, listen to Exodus 25 verse 8. God says in Exodus 25 verse 8, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. It's real God wants Israel to construct a sanctuary for Him that He may dwell among them, and this this word verb dwell is the Hebrew word shakan, shakan, where God would dwell, and so the place where He would dwell was called the mishkan in Hebrew, mishkan. So it's the dwelling place where He would dwell is the dwelling place, and that is translated as tabernacle. That's why it's called the tabernacle, because when we say tabernacle, it's emphasized that this is where God dwells, where God's glory dwelled among the people of Israel. It also bore a second name, though, this, the, which we find in our text, and that is the name of uh, the tent of meeting. In the very same chapter, in fact, God had instructed Moses to build a, an ark uh, to hold the, the testimony of the Ten Commandments, the, the, the two stone tablets They were to put in the ark at this point. And in And this ark then was to be be covered by something called a mercy seat. Basically a lid, uh, a place where, in a sense, where there are two cherubs on each end, kind of over this seat. And 25, 22 explains the significance of this ark with the mercy seat on it, on top of it. Exodus 25, 22, listen to what what God says to Moses. There, that is at the mercy seat, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. See, the tabernacle was not only where God dwelt among Israel, but it was the place where God would meet with Moses to speak to him about all the commandments that he would have for Israel. And just think about it. If, you, if I had the photos, you would kind of get a better view of it. But this this place of was alone moses would go to meet with god you know and keep in mind this place was part of in the tabernacle as well as in the temple was called the holy of holies and when you read the rest of the leviticus particularly one person could go in there basically no one could go in there or they would die but one person could go in there once a year to offer sacrifices for the people of israel the chief priest in this case it was aaron but notice when god speaks to moses he says, this is where I will meet with you. Moses could go there whenever God called him to listen to him, to speak to him in his, in his presence and hear God's word. What a great privilege that, God, that, that Moses had, that he was able to, to, to hear God's word. And through Moses and Aaron, God would communicate with his people through, uh, through in this tabernacle. This would be the place where the, the people of God would go and they, could, they worship him. They follow all the offerings the way we read in the call to worship. Every day at this, at this tabernacle, they would offer a lamb in the morning and a lamb at twilight on behalf of the people of Israel. It was a place of worship. It was a place where, God, where God's dwelling was. And the principle here is, is pretty vivid and clear to us. It's an enduring principle that in the center of the nation, in the the center of the people of God is the place where God dwells and where God is heard and where God is worshipped. And God was in this way instructing Israel that throughout their ages of the priority of God, of the centrality of God and the worship of him. Every time they camped, they would say, well, we got to camp around the tent of meeting." And they were sent the tent of meeting right in the middle, and all the other tribes would camp around it, as we'll see in detail. Every single time they camped, every time they looked towards the middle of their camp, they were reminded of how the centrality of God and the worship of him. And the principle for them, the people of God then, is the principle for the people of God today, right? is it not the centrality of God and the priority of worship of God to be our calling as well God is seeking worshipers what does he seek for he seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth God is to be our priority not only as individuals yes but also as a church body as a body just like a nation had as a corporately had God as their priority so we as a nation as a as a peop, as a church are to have God as our priority he has a greater priority than anything or anyone else in our world. It is exactly why you and I meet together every single week. it was just about worship, we could all worship at home, right? I, I could go worship God because uh, wherever the, the spirit of God is and he dwells within me, wherever I have the word of God, wherever I have, uh, you know, Jesus and uh, believe Jesus receive Christ in my life, I can worship God every single day of my life. I don't need to worship God with you guys in that sense. But there is in God's design that he wants the people of God to corporately worship him, to together as a body be centered upon the Lord. When we gather, what we do is we reorient ourselves as a church to God. We, we seek to together think about him, to know his will. We seek together to hear from him. We seek together to speak to him through our prayers, and we speak to together to praise him with our uh, with our lips and through our songs because of what he's done and because of who he is. As we worship him, what we're doing actively is that we are willing to and seeking to center our lives around him, around his word, around his son and his glory. That's what we do when we worship together. Because we know it's not just enough for individuals. We want to do it as a be as a church this way, just as the people of God were in the, Israel's time. The priority of worship, the priority of uh, worship of God is uh, the first lesson that the Israelites le- learned from these general, general layout of their camp. They were to camp around the tent of meeting. But secondly, we learn a second lesson in this text, and it's in verses 3 through 31. This is the bulk of the text. We see now the detailed instructions for the layout of the camp. How they actually lay lay themselves out around the camp. From which we learn our second lesson. And the lesson is that not only uh, are we we to be prioritizing the worship of God, but we also as a people of God are to be trusting the will of God. Trusting the will of God in verses 3 through 31. And I want to read all of it together. It's a long section. It's another list of names and numbers But hopefully you'll kind of hear it and you'll see the... You can just try to imagine. Maybe you have a study Bible. It might even have a photo for you. You can kind of think about what is the significance of these details. Why does God want them to camp in this way wherever they are? Numbers uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 31, trusting the will of God. God says to Moses and Aaron, these words, verse 3. Now, those who camp on the east side toward the sunrise... "...shall be at the standard of the camp of Judah, by their armies, and the leader of the sons of Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab, and his army, even their numbered men, 74,600. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, and the leader of the sons of Issachar, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, and his army, even their numbered men, 54,400. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun, and the leader of the sons of Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, and his army, even his numbered men, 57,400. The total of the numbered men of the camp of Judah, 186,400, by their armies, they shall set out first. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben, by their armies, and the leader of the sons of Reuben, Elizur the son of Shedir, and his army, even their numbered men, 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the sons of Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zeresh, Eliasaph, oh, excuse me, and his army, even their numbered men, 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad and the leader of the sons of Gad, Eliaseth, the son of Duel, and his army, even their numbered men, 45,650. The total of the numbered men of the camp of Reuben, 151,450, by their armies, and they shall set out second. Then... The tent of meeting shall set out with, their, with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps, just as they camp, so, that, so they shall set out every man in his place by their standards. On the west side, verse 18, shall be the standards of the camp of Ephraim by their armies. And the leader of the sons of Ephraim shall be Elishama the son of Amihud, and his army, even their numbered men, 40,500. Next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh and the leader of the sons of Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Padazar, and his army, even their numbered men, 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin and the leader of the sons of Benjamin, Abidon, the son of Gideoni, and his army, even their numbered men, 35,400. The total of the numbered men of the camp of Ephraim, 108,100, by their armies, and they shall set out third. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan, by their armies, and the leader of the sons of Dan, Ahiezer, the son of Amishaddai, and his army, even their numbered men, 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. And the leader of the sons of Asher, Pegiel, the son of Akron, and his army, even their numbered men, 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali, and the leader of the sons of Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan, and his army, even their numbered men, 53,400. The total of the numbered men of the camp of Dan was 157,600. They shall set out last by their standards. Well, that was a mouthful. And that was a lot of names, a lot of numbers. And you're like, ooh, that's just kind of, you know, that's a lot of numbers. I admit it. The you know, first time you read it, it's like, well, what is that even about? It just seems like a, it almost seems almost, in many ways, a repeat of, of chapter 1. In fact, the names and the numbers are identical to chapter 1. The list of all the of the armies in chapter 1 are the same list of, of armies, of tribes, of leader of the tribes, of number of soldiers in chapter 2 as well. So, but hopefully, beyond that, it's just a long list of names and numbers. Further study is going to reveal to us, and what it reveals to us is God's sovereign will at work in the life of the nation. God's sovereign will at work, working out in his instructions to the, to the nation of Israel. We can break this a this little bit further down into five sections. First is the eastern camp. We find there's the tent of meeting in the middle, and uh, I have a chart here. Um, sorry, I can't show it to you. But first, is in the middle, and to the east of the camp, we find uh, we find the the tribe of Judah, in verse three to nine. With it, the, uh, Judah is the uh, three tribes are on the east. Judah is the kind of the key tribe. He's called, in fact, it's called the camp of Judah. We might call it a division. There's a division on this side, the division of Judah or the camp of Judah. And Judah there uh, is camps along with the tribes of Issachar and Zebulun. Uh, the, is the east side of the camp is a significant side of the camp. It's a, it's a place of honor in the camp because it's, it's on the east. And the tent meeting faced toward the east, towards the, the rising sun. That's, in fact, that's what the text says. That's where the sun rises. It's the beginning of the day. And so as the tent of meeting faces there, that's where the tribe of Judah gets placed. And we know it's significant because when the Levites and all the priests are, are divvied up, we're going to find next chapter of where they are to stay. Moses, Aaron, and all the priests are on the east side of the tabernacle. The other descendants of Levi, the other families of Levites, are on the other sides of the temple. So Judah and his uh, fellow tribes here, three, two other tribes, are given primacy uh, his fellow brother tribes. And by the way, this isn't just a, a instructions for how they were to camp. They're all to camp on the east side of the tent of meeting, but it's also instructions for how they were to march. Right? They're at the end of verse 9, it says, They shall set out first. So it implies that when they pick up camp and when they set out to go marching through towards the promised land, that the tribe of Judah and Zebulun and Issachar along with them were to be the first to march out. They were the when the nation sets out, they were the they were the spearhead of the army, and there's a very practical uh, element to this. Even of the divisions, when you look at the numbers, this is the largest division. It's the largest number. And if you're gonna you want to if you're gonna be wandering around the wilderness, you want nobody to attack you. You want to put in your front your your a very strong army, a strong division, really. And and so anybody looks and say, well, that looks like a mighty army. I'm not gonna bother to fight with them. And so and there's wisdom and practical practice in that. But we'll, we'll get to a little more significance a little bit later. Verses 10 to 16, the next section is the southern part of the camp. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention. You notice that the Lord the Lord in his structure starts with the east, and it goes to the south, then the west, and the north. East, south, west, north. That's a very uh, orthodox uh, uh, kind of a eastern kind of a, a way of looking at the world it starts with the rising of the sun in fact if you have a chinese any chinese culture here maybe some other asian culture i'm not sure but i know chinese cultures when we talk about the directions of the compass in, in chinese it's always east south west north you'll say it that way whereas in america we say north south east west north south east west right but in chinese you know don't know i'm sorry okay anyway sorry don't matter uh you say it that way and that's how the, it's in and then we see that in hebrew it's that way as well now, nah, very understandable, since the, all the people came from the same, uh, probably the same families anyways, uh, if you go far enough back. But anyways, on the south is another set of tribes. It's the eastern, the southern camp is uh, led, probably the primary tribe of Reuben. Reuben, next to Reuben, you know, are the tribes of Simeon, the tribes of Gad. They camped on the, second, the southern side, and according to God, they were the second group to set out when they marched. In verse 17, we kind of come to our third section of this passage, and it tells us, once again, that in the middle of the camp is the tent of meeting along with the Levites. Remember where the Levites were to camp around the, the tent of meeting? They were, in the, they were centered. They were in the center. We're going to learn more about them next, next time. But we also learned that when Israel marched, that the tent of meeting as well as Israel uh, and the tribe of Levi would march in the middle of, this process, of the procession. From the east, you would have the Judah, the, the camp of Judah. Then next would be the camp of Reuben. And in the middle would be basically the tender meeting and the Levites, followed by six more tribes that we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Again, it's just another reminder that whether they camped, whether they marched, God is at the center. God is in the middle. And there's a, it's just a very, it, and, and times, in times when there was no written word, no kind of a lot of, and you're wandering in the desert, so you can't like have permanent, Imagery—a lot of old, kind of like think about medieval ages. They would have pictures to teach truths, but in these days, they had rituals, they had symbols, and they're reflected in the in the the elements of the of the tabernacle, the location of places, and all would indicate some truth that would be instructive for the people of God. The fourth section of the camp, verse eighteen twenty-four, is the western camp, and Ephraim becomes the primary tribe, flanked by Manasseh as well as Benjamin. Uh, this is the smallest of the camps, and in March 3rd, verse 25 to 31 talks about the northern camp, the, the final division, and the division of Dan, the primary tribe there. He's flanked by Asher and Naphtali, and when marching, this camp would be the rear guard of the army. So all this is just kind of neat. It's, from an organizational standpoint, it's, 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 it's beautiful. And you can just kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of, of God's organization that in the heart of a city it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if maybe like Paris, you know, you go to Paris, uh, in the heart in the heart of the city is, is that Ark of Triumph or whatever you call it, uh, and then and you see all these roads just kind of lash out, it. and it's just a, from a, at least to me, it looks like a beautiful road because everything's centered around that one place. And for Israel, it was a beauty to see this nation that's two million-plus people camping around in the wilderness. And it could just be a hodgepodge of everybody's where they're at, but God says, I'm going to put the tent in the middle and all the tribes surrounding it. And so there's a beauty of organization, and probably from an organization standpoint, it's, it's, it's perfect wisdom because God's behind it. But is there something more to this? Perhaps what stands out more when you contrast chapter 2 with chapter 1 is that in the listing of the tribes... Tribes four through six are swapped with tribes one through three. The first three tribes, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, are not uh, actually in the list of Reuben, Simeon, Gad, they're swapped now in order with Judah and his two uh, two fellow tribes. That Judah, for some reason, the fourth-born son of Jacob, he has 12 sons, fourth-born son of Jacob, he somehow, for some reason, has priority He's given the place of honor in the camp over the tribe of Reuben, who was the firstborn son of of Leah, right? Why is that? Maybe some of you know. You know your Bibles. But the answer is it goes back to the promises of God. It goes back to the will of God. That God's sovereign will is at work, even in the reflection of how they camp. You go back to Genesis chapter 49... You'll find there when Jacob, on his deathbed, is, calls his sons to him. He calls actually his 11 of his sons. He calls the two uh, grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Joseph, to him. And he pronounces basically a word for each of them. And it's a word from God, by the way. It's not just his own blessing. It's, it's sort of his blessing, but it's, it's really a word from God for each one. And he sometimes commends them, and he sometimes condemns them. But when you look in Genesis 49, it's interesting, as he speaks to each one, that Reuben, though he's his firstborn, and normally would have been received a double blessing, a double honor, he actually receives a condemnation from Jacob. Uh, he, he gets a condemnation because primarily he sinned by sleeping with his father's concubine. Uh, second, the second and third born, Simeon and Levi, are, also do not find any com, uh, commendation, but find condemnation as well. They were known for being uh, those who were violent men. They had slain the whole city of the Shechemites because of what they had done. Out of, they want, they basically, they, they took vengeance in their own hands and slayed a whole city of people in their anger. And so it comes down to Judah, who was the fourth-born son, the fourth in line. And keep in mind, it's not that he was a, necessarily a, a, God, a, a, a sinless man. He, too, was just as culpable with his brothers in selling his brother Joseph to slavery, basically just consigning him to, to a, a life of ultimate death but Judah, in some way, and throughout the history, especially the story of Joseph, stood out. You remember the story? He's kind of just going up further back, you know, and you'll read about how Joseph basically um, framed uh, Benjamin for uh, stealing his, his little cup. And he was going to imprison Benjamin. He hadn't revealed himself to his brothers. And he says, I'm gonna take your brother because you're the one who stole my cup, I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna go put you in prison. And of all the brothers, Jacob or Judah stands out. What does he do? Remember, he says, "Please, my Lord." he his he, the, hum, the humble way which he approaches Joseph. He says, "And please, instead of him, take me. Let me stay in prison on his behalf." He's he becomes a willing sacrifice for his brother, <laughs> and uh, that's that's a, that's a significant theme in the Bible, right? And so, in Genesis 49:10, when God, when Jacob pronounces a uh, a word for Judah, he says this of him: Genesis 49:10, "The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples." God here reveals through Jacob's blessing that the tribe of Judah would forever rule over the nation of Israel that they, from their tribe would come the rulers of the nation of all Israelites until the coming of the ultimate king messiah himself and the leader in fact here in our text we we, we can see the significance because the leader of the tribe of Judah his name is Nashon son of Amminadab he would become the grandfather of Boaz and Boaz would become the grandfather of David through whom the kings of the sons of David would come through whom god promised his eternal son King Eternal Kingdom to one of his sons, and that son, of course, we know is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. In the will of God, Judah would be the very nation that, that would lead this nation forward. He's given the pla- his tribe is given the place of honor. He would be the first to he would be the first uh, have access to the tabernacle. He would be the first to march out and lead in front of the people, all from the formation and the camp and the marching of this camp. The preeminence of Judah is displayed. Now, mind you, though Judah is given a place of honor, no one is excluded. No one's excluded from a place in the camp or a position. In the camp. Everyone has a place. All the tribes of Judah, you know, even Israelites had other people with them. But you notice they never add a 13th tribe or a 14th tribe. They don't do that. Either you, you basically just got to associate with one of the tribes because there's only 12 tribes. There's only 12 camps. And if you're with them, you're going to be with one of these camps. And there was a place for every single, uh, and a part in the nation for every single Israelite. And that principle, that there's a place and a part for every Israelite in the camp, a place for them to be among the the nation, is a reminder of a a principle that's at work in the life of the church. That the similar principles at work in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, particularly verse 4 to 6, talks about, Paul there speaks about the varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. The, in the Church of Christ, we all have different spiritual gifts. We all have different ministries that you and I are going to be involved in. We're all going to have different effects. That is, we're all gonna re, What we do is going to result in different things. Some of us going to do big, wide effects. Some of us going to maybe do smaller effects. Maybe instead of a, a breadth of effect, maybe a depth. But we all have different, there's a variety to us. But nevertheless, in the body of Christ, every single one of us has a part and a place. Every single one of us has a gift. Every single one of us is, is given an opportunity to serve and use our gifts in the body of Christ. Every single one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and God has brought you to Essa Bible and you're a regular, a, you're a member, if you're in a regular tender here and God has brought you here and there's a part and place for you that he wills for you to have in this body, So therefore, in light of that, won't you trust God's sovereign will, that he has brought you here for a purpose, and that you will seek with all your diligence to fulfill your part and to find your place within the body of Christ. Use your gifts. So I ask you, just what part, what place and part do you fulfill in this church? How are you involved in life? Who are you connected to? We can't be connected with everybody, certainly not, but we're connected to a few people. We know a few handful of people. And hopefully we could be a blessing in their life to use our gifts to encourage and build up. Again, it's, not, it's never about like whether you, how many formal ministries you're involved in. Okay? I know we always have needs, but I encourage you. Uh, volunteer for those ministries that the Lord lays upon your heart. The Lord gives you a desire to do. Don't do something you don't want to do. Oh, I hate that. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, that's probably not your call of ministry. Trust and pray about it instead. Pray that God would raise up someone else to do that. And that may just be the way. Okay? Um, and so in, these, in the detailed orient, uh, layout of the camp, we, we learn really of the will of God. That God sets Judah to be the leader of the nation. But he also has a part and place for everyone in the camp. There's no one outside the camp. Everybody has a place. And that reminds us just even how God's will for the church today, we all have a part. We all have a place. Okay? So, uh, let's trust the will of God to do that. One final lesson that we can learn from our text. And that is in verses 32 to 34, and that's the lesson that we as a people of God, in the, in the wilderness, as we camp in the wilderness, need to be obeying the word of God, obeying the word of God. So we talked about uh, uh, trusting uh, the will of God, now we're talking about obeying the word of God. Verse 32 to 34, let's pick up the, the text. Uh, Moses writes, These are the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their fathers' households, the total of the numbered men of the camps by their armies. 603,550. The Levites, however, were not numbered among the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they camped by their standards, and so they set out, everyone by his family according to his father's household. Just like the end of chapter 1, and we're going to see it in a couple of other chapters, the Israelites are always known, at least this first generation, are known for doing and accomplishing according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. They obeyed God. They camped according to God's word. They set out according to God's word. The whole nation, every single person, obeyed God's word. You notice, even at this, no one says, you know, why does Judah get to be there? Well, you know, you have kids. (laughs) You know, just, you, you give something first to one kid, you know, a lot of times if, if, they don't, if you delay a little bit, they're going to say, well, why do you give it to him first? Where's mine? Uh, unless they know for sure they're all going to get a part. But even some want theirs first. And that's a human nature. It's just a sinful nature wanting to be first. But it could have been a temptation for everybody to be jealous of Judah. Why does Judah get to be first? But you don't see at this, at this stage in their, in their life anyone complaining about it because these are God's instructions. And God said it, and therefore they're going to trust it, therefore they're going to obey it, because God said it. And that's a, very, that's a good general principle for all of life. If God says it, we're going to obey that. And it's important for the people of God to obey the word of God, right? Of course, we know that sadly, there are many who profess faith in Jesus Christ, profess to be Christians. They say they believe in Jesus. They say they might love Jesus. They, they may even see that, they, they, that Jesus is a priority in their life and that they follow Jesus even, right? But then... You look and watch their life, and they they don't obey God's word. They don't keep God's word. Do you know anyone like this? Now, before we're off kind of thinking about others, I hope that all of us would acknowledge the fact that we are sometimes like this. That though we uh, are those who believe in Jesus, we love Jesus, we, we follow Jesus, but sometimes we in our own lives don't obey Jesus. But we ought not to be characterized it. But rather, and, and it's, it's okay if we're sometimes like this. Well, it's really not okay. But it's, it's, the reality is, we are sometimes like this. We sometimes disobey God. But we ought not to be always like this. One cannot say, you cannot say that you believe in Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, and then proceed not to obey Jesus. It is not acceptable. It's not what Jesus wills for you. It's you're lo- you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. You're not really obeying, believing, loving, and following Him. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' words for it. John three thirty-six: He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That you must say no to your, your flesh, say no to your, your, your desires, your own sinful lusts, say no to, your, to you, what you want and say yes to God and be willing to take up your cross, that is to be willing to suffer, be willing to sacrifice in following Jesus. let me just add very importantly that though we're talking about the necessity of God's people to be obey, obeying God's word, obeying God's commands will not save you, right? It, it, obeying, there's not a single command that we uh, can obey that, will, that would earn us merit before God so that he would accept us. Oh, you, you're such an obedient child. I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive you into my kingdom. But the rather, the one who is saved... Already saved by faith through by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death on the cross in place of us, the one who truly has repented, the one who truly belongs to the Lord is going to be one. Will manifest it. Will 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 produce in their life the fruit of obedience to the Word of God. The first generation of Israelites started exactly like this. They started out very well. They obeyed the Lord in, in all the commands they did. But along the way, they they, they started giving in to their selfishness. They gave in to their fears. They disobeyed the Lord. They, uh, as we'll see in numbers, they, they grumbled. They complained. Uh, they didn't trust God and His promises. They many times wanted to go back to their old ways, they wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. They intermarried with pagan wives, they worshiped their idols. And all along the way, God says of this nation that perished in the wilderness that they had a heart of unbelief. They all said they believed. They all said they they loved. They all said they followed. But in the end, they they had a heart of unbelief. And that led to a whole generation dying in the wilderness. Let us learn from the, the example of those who came before us. Let us not be like the first generation in Numbers. ...who start off well in and obeying, and that, and that is easy to do. When you become a new Christian, you're a new young Christian, you're kind of you, full of that zeal. so You, you work real hard, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obeying the Lord. I think I'm getting more godly this week, by the way. Oh, I feel that. You, you remember those days? <laughs> I'm convinced that the longer we live on the life, it's though we... I hope we're growing in holiness, but we realize not much more, more how... It's not that, that we're, we're learning how to become more holy... But we're learning how much how simple we are, and how much we need Jesus and the grace that comes from His death on our behalf. And then, through His grace, we may grow in holiness. The longer we live, the longer the the, the effects of sin impact our lives. In the fact, uh, there's the curse of sin. You live long enough, you're going to go through those mountains and those those deep valleys. And in those deep valleys are all those times of testing, those wilderness times, and they're going to test you, they're going to mold you, they're going to shape you, and they're going to tempt you to fall away, to have a heart of unbelief. It will happen. It is what we experience in this life. But in be, don't be like the first generation, but we're going to learn to be like the second generation who trusts the Lord, have a heart of belief in God, so that we might enter the promised land. Until we enter the promised land. Let us who believe, love, and follow Jesus be those who seek faithfully to obey his word. And that's that's lesson three. All right? So I've kind of flown by. Let's uh, conclusion, wrap up. Here's the concluding, just what we've learned. That God's instructions for camping and marching in the wilderness teach Israel and teach us the priority of worship and obedience to God. Okay? That's, That's what it teaches us. Instruction structured them. Look, look at it. Where the, where the camp is. Look at the details of it. Look at the the will of God being reflected. Look at the the response of the people, and you see that they put a priority on God. They center their lives around God, His worship, His and obedience to Him. And that's how we ought to be. That's our lesson. I'll give you with three questions. Three questions to kind of think about. Question number one: Is is the corporate worship of God a priority in your life? Is it a priority in your life? Now, again, I, I maybe I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe you, you already know this. But it is quite easy to be here right now. I remember it was like that sometimes when we worshiped online. So I'm talking to you guys when worship online too. I'm talking to you people right here. It's so easy sometimes to check our brain out, right? When we come in, it's like, this dude's been going for like an hour, you know? I, I don't know what he's talking about. It, it's, it's hard sometimes to focus. And it's part of my fault. I acknowledge that. But it's also your responsibility to keep listening and striving to listen. Even, even, even the preacher up there is terrible, okay? Because you're here to center your heart and mind on God and His Word, is there? Are you, are you checked out? Or are you checked in? Are you Are you seeking to know and love God? Say, maybe the maybe the pre, even if the preaching, you ever go to church and the preaching's terrible. Well, they're singing some songs. Well, listen to the truths in the songs. Think about, find something to think about God that is right and true and honorable and loving and pure and of good repute. Think about those things. Find it. If you have a, of the Spirit of God, you should be able to find it, even if the preacher is terrible. Okay. Corporate worship is a priority in your life. Think about it. Focus. Let's all together reorient our lives on Christ every week when we gather. Number two, or number two, how are you fulfilling your part and your place in the body of Christ? All of us, First uh, uh, Corinthians 12, but I think this is an illustration of it that there's a, we all have a part and place in the body of Christ, in the people of God. How are you serving? How are you serving and just being involved, being connected with the body? Thirdly, is there any area of your life that, that you need to submit to the Lord? In obedience. Maybe some area of your life that you've been holding on to willfully holding on to. You you know it's sin, but you've been holding on to it, and and uh, maybe nobody knows. Maybe you're a process of the church this one, maybe one or two others have already come alongside you. God wants you to turn away from sin. He sent his son to die for your sin. Not that you could continue in sin. So won't you submit in obedience to the Lord? Confess your sin, repent of sin, and return and trust in Him. So that when we follow his instructions, you and I together individual, individually, but also together as a church, can be the people of God that he will use to be a light in the wilderness. You know why? Because when we worship, we, what we do is we glorify God. Nobody else in this world exists to glorify God but the church. The church exists to glorify God. And when we worship, when he's in our center, well, he will be. He, we will bring glory to him in the world, and the world will see that. And when we go out to the world, we will reflect God's glory to the world so they'll come to know and believe in Jesus Christ too by the grace of God. all right And God is faithful and to us and that's why in providing these instructions to Israel and he's providing these instructions for you and me today, let's be faithful to follow them. all right let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, thank you for this time and your word and uh, Lord, we pray that as we see how you were center, the central to the people of God uh, as they wandered the wilderness. We ask that you may cause uh, us to always keep you front and center in our lives as well. Not only individually, but also as a body, as a church, as a people. Help this church, as a Bible Church, to be a church that is known for having Christ at the center of all that we do. And Lord, this morning as we look to your word, as we sung songs of praise, as we worship you through uh, giving and, and even serving, we pray that you would reorient our thoughts to you, to Christ, so that our minds would leave here, not thinking about what we're going to do this week, but thinking how we might live for you, accomplish your purposes until you bring us home. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a faithful God. We thank you for your, your word that reveals your will. And we pray that you would help us to, as, to faithfully follow the the instructions that your word gives us, to follow its principles, its guidelines, and to trust in you throughout it all. We praise you and thank you for these things that we've learned today. In Jesus' name.